Weird Shit My Mom Says, episode 52. That means a year. A I'm year. Jules. And I'm Cece. And it's been a year plus a couple weeks because if you haven't it's, noticed, we haven't been around. It's been a year and a while. The five people that are actually invested in this saga are yeah. like, where did they go? What's going on? Yeah, the good news is we're not dead. No, we're super not dead. I'm super no. alive. We're but so alive that we've been very busy. I've been so alive that things have been happening in my life um, that prevented me from having time to record or research or do any of the things that I would want to do. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. My computer stopped working while you were busy. And I was kind of busy, like, wasn't working. We had some things happen. So it turns out that getting your fingers just a little bit cut off is like the same amount of pain as getting them all the way cut off. How do I know this? Did you cut your fingers off? You know, I didn't cut my fingers off. I know. For I the just, benefit they of, might have thought you did. Everyone else, the doc, the husband. Um, so we're always doing home improvement projects as you may or may not know, but they literally never stop and they overlap each other. So we were just working outside and um, he very calmly came walking over to me with his shirt off, which wasn't the alarming part because that's normal. But (laughs) in his hand, he had this like balled up shirt and also his hand. And as he was walking closer to me, I realized he was covered in gore, like Uh. just blood and things and I actually thought he was holding his fingertips in his hand (laughs) so the first thought that goes into my head is okay I gotta make sure he's calm and my second thought was I need to get a glass of milk to put his severed fingers in so that they can reattach them if they need to so he walks up know that trick (laughs) fun fact yeah it's a trick okay so he walks up to me and I'm like I was like are they attached And he's like, yeah, they're still attached. And I'm looking at his finger and he's just very calm. It's his his right hand and he's right hand dominant. And it's his middle and his ring finger. And like they are splayed open at the ends. Like the bone is exposed. Like he chopped off part of his finger pretty bad. So I'm just like, okay. I was like, you get in the car and I'm just going to run in like real quick grab a couple things and then we're gonna take you to the hospital and he's just like okay like it was so nonchalant I don't you know and then I get in the car and I'm looking at him and he's like are we going to the emergency room or urgent care and I was like well you know urgent care would be faster and then I was like but if they have to take you into surgery we might want to be at the hospital so we went to the emergency room and I also learned that if you're covered in blood, you don't have to wait in the in the waiting room with everybody else. Oh, okay. It turns out people are grossed out by that. Yeah. They take you more seriously. Yeah. So. I like that. Yeah, things were not. I mean, he's going to be okay. It's pretty cool. I mean, also learned that if it's just the fingertips, like they don't cut them off anymore. Like basically your fingers just like regrow kind of like a lizard tail when it gets cut off. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> it's pretty fucking cool. So they are going to grow back? Well, I I don't know. I guess we're learning as we go. 
Oh. Uh, the the surgeon that That'll he probably saw. probably never be the same. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think that if he did a crime with just those two fingers, he might get away with it. His fingerprints are going to be different. <laughs> just two fingers? <laughs> the two-fingered bandit. Yes. Gross. <laughs> Not. Oh, man. Anyway, he is recovering nicely. He's, uh, they're still pretty gross. He's got a lot of stitches on there. It was basically like they took hamburger meat and tried to just sew it back together. And we're like, yep, you're good. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, I'm sorry, Doc. We're like laughing. In oh, your no, we fingers. were like, while, <laughs> here's the best part is that he nicked an artery. Only it was kind of like clogged up, you know, for a minute. And we didn't mm-hmm. know he nicked an artery. So we're we're in the emergency room and we're sitting in there. And I was I was leaning over closer to him to talk to him about something, you know, making sure he was all good. And then all of a sudden I glanced down at the floor and I realized that there's like blood spatter to be analyzed on the floor. Like a lot of it. Wow. Like I'm talking like probably a rectangular area of about maybe eight inches by four inches wide. I mean, so then I look closer and I realize that he's got like arterial spray coming out of his finger. Oh my God. So this injury could have murdered me, perhaps. It could have, yes, because you have you know, you're on blood thinners, so that would have been thin blood, so I yeah. might have just been dead. They, so saw, just... they showed me a safety video about tools when I started taking blood thinners. Okay, well, you should definitely not use a router table, you know, like well, I would... for woodworking. Well, I use woodworking tools. Actually, you use a router like... table? Stop immediately. I've used them before. I just, dear like, lord, you got to be very careful. I'm no, very, like... very careful when I use any of my t- saws and things like that. I don't own a router table at this time, okay, but good. I would like to. No. The answer is unequivocally no. Now what that if I've I seen wear Kevlar gloves. I'm going to send you all the pictures of his fingers. I don't want to see the pictures of his fingers. Well, just imagine what it would look like on your own hand. Yeah, Turns like, out like lots of people use these tools successfully every day without chopping their fingers off. But it turns out I will say that a lot of people came into the room. A lot of people were talking with us, telling us their stories and all about their things and the people they know and the all blah, 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 blah. And a Mm -hmm. lot of people said like, oh, yeah. Like this one guy was like, I had a shop teacher and he thought he was so smart and so good, never get hurt. And he's been doing it, you know, for 30 years. Oh, he chopped off his fingers on a router table too. Well, it's like something happened. I chopped off the tip of my finger before with a... box cutter when I worked at Menards. But it was like a clean cut, right? Yeah, it was it was pre-blood thinner days. And I was just like, listen, I caught yeah. the it was my last day and I said, I think I got excited. And it was toward the end of the day. <laughs> and I walked up to my boss and I very calmly said, Hey, listen, and I had a lot of blood happening. And I was like, you know, I just cut the end of my finger off. I think I'm gonna just be done. <laughs> like he was like okay he wasn't like hey workers comp just nobody said anything about you know what i didn't know anything about workers comp until i was like the person that did workers comp and i was like oh my god i should have been 
reporting a lot of injuries to my body over the years. At, oh, boy. Mostly at my last job. But, yeah. One time I had to go pick up somebody's, like, piece of finger. Oh. Is that how yeah. you learn milk trick? No. I actually learned oh. that from, from the doc. Uh, you know, because he, he was in law enforcement, and so they, they see oh, yeah. a lot of bad accidents and things, and he's the one That's that told me. That's why he stayed me. so calm. Well, also, just, I don't know, that's our personalities. I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. so you cut your finger off. And he's like, yeah, I did. <laughs> <laughs> I cut a couple off. Cut <laughs> a couple off. Okay. Well, yeah. are we ready to share the news? We're ready. We're ready. You okay. Go, so we didn't, we didn't rehearse this. So we didn't. This is a, just a candid conversation. And honestly, I'll probably just like not edit this episode a whole lot. This will be the very last episode of Weird Shit My Mom Says. It will be. Kind of. Kind of. Because, so we've realized that we just jumped straight in to doing this at my own fault. Like, I think we were planning on being more organized and I was like, fuck this, let's rip the bandit off and just fucking go. And so we've, you know, we, we were able to keep up with episodes for a while but life has just gotten a lot busier and we didn't really do a lot of preparing it's been very like last minute and thrown together we also didn't anticipate you know like not being able to advertise because of the swear word in our title those (coughs) kinds of things so piss poor planning they call that yes so essentially today is going to be the death of weird shit my mom says but don't cry if you like us are there people crying? Are you crying? I would like to think that there's some people. I would like to think in that there's right now. somebody. Now, I think what's happening is there's somebody driving in their car right now, and they're suddenly going, "No, for the love of God, no!" That's how it's going. No, but listen, what we're gonna do is we're gonna get our shit together. We're gonna like pre-plan, and we are gonna come back with yeah. A different version of the podcast, but still us and our ridiculous selves. And Mm -hmm. we'll be a little bit better organized and have a different title. So what I'm going to do, Jules, I'll let you talk about like some of the ideas that you've had so far, because we're not like fully, fully settled yet, but we've got some good ideas that Jules had. So um, what I would say, though, is that we are going to leave this RSS feed is what it comes from. So the the feed that um, gets this podcast out into the world, that'll stay open. Our last episodes will be there. And when we do come out with a new podcast, we will put an episode out on this feed just to let you guys know, like, hey, oh. this is us. This is our new podcast. Come on over and listen. We'll put it on social media as well if you follow okay. us. But, um, but if you are subscribed to us, you'll get a notification when we come back. Because it could be a while until we come back. Um, but just stay, stay subscribed to us. Yeah, stay If you want to hear our future and... content. So what i was kind of thinking is that we may release our our new podcast may come out like in seasons so yeah, some folks do good. like the seasons that way we're not on the hook for releasing one every single week cuz sometimes we get under the gun and we're like when can you record when can you record mm-hmm. um 
Another thing is that if we spend some time on the front end, like over the rest of the summer and and whatever the case is, however long it takes us, we're going to organize, you know, and decide what shows we're going to do in that season before we release it. We're going to do all of our research ahead of time so that we're not researching like last minute and that yeah, kind of stuff. And then also some of the content that we've already put together um, now that we know what we're doing, we can use some of that research that we've already done on the new show and present it probably sounding, I'm going to say hopefully sounding a lot better than what we sound now uh, because we'll, cause some of those, those first episodes were pretty rough. I know you guys. They that. were. Yes, they they were. And I might go back, like now that we've got a little bit of time on our hands too, I may go back and just edit some of them because I do want this content to be out on the, the internet for the world. Yeah. Yeah. Still. So we may go back and do some of that. But um, but yeah, that that's really our plan. We don't have anything like super concrete, but maybe in the days leading up or once we have more, we might just do like a little update just to kind of keep you guys engaged with us yeah. until we really have our stuff together. So um, but thank you for those yeah. of you guys that have been listening to us for this last year yes because it means a lot thank you i mean to all five of you (laughs) to all five of you that do care about our existence out here in the pod world um yeah it turns out you can't use the word shit in your title and i thought that was going to be a lot easier to get away with i actually thought you were going to put some like of those like symbols in there instead of saying no. shit and you were just like no i'm gonna say it fuck that yeah. shit shit like i mean it's just all poor planning on our part it was wild it's been a you know it's pretty cool though because it's kind I'm of wild. like a it's kind of like a diary of our year isn't it it is a diary of our year and so going down that road today we're gonna just like review some of the cases that we did over the last year yeah and say goodbye to them by means of reading ridiculous newspaper articles we did we found we found some funny articles or just things that are related to some of the articles um because i'm going to be honest it was we came up with the idea to do this to find the funny Mm -hmm. old articles and then we were like i found one and then like five hours later I was like, I think I found another one. And yeah, then you, I was it, having it just, a straight panic attack. It, yeah, it was hard to do. It was hard to find um, some some articles that kind of fit the mold that we were trying to fit. So we're definitely gonna do some stuff. So what stuff did what did you find? Well, I went on like your cases. I hope that's what I was supposed to do. Well, I went on and... your cases too, and then I was trying to help you, and I actually found a couple things from a couple of my Whoa. cases. Okay. Well, I think that what I want to read. Or how many? How many articles do you have? Um, I think I've got one, two, three, four, five, five. Holy ball sacks! I have three. So what if you start and finish? So why don't you go first? All right. So do we want to go in the Wayback Machine, like, first? Do we want to start early? Or do you want to... I feel like you should just, like, use the one that's not as fun first. Okay. Like, do the funniest one last. Let's build up to it. Okay, okay. Okay. Hang on, though. But, like, 
before you do this, like, what was your favorite episode that you did? Um, I think the favoritest episode, I said favoritest. I know, I know people, okay, sometimes I say things because I just want to. I yeah. am not dumb. I know that's not the real way to say it, okay? For all of you judgy McJudge pantses, um, I think that honestly, like the vampires got real ridiculous. Oh my God. What about the one where the person had the, was there a nipple belt or did I make that up? Yeah, I think that there was a nipple belt. It was, wasn't it the werewolves or was that? Yeah, the werewolves no, one that we, it? yeah. Okay, so there was a werewolves episode that we put together when we were traveling together in a car. Mm-hmm. Like we, we drove like 1200 miles together from Florida to Wisconsin. Um, I think it was in December is when we did it. And we like, were doing research on that and we were laughing so hard. So, I yes. think that one was fun. And then also I really, really liked um, the Goatman one because it was just, it was fun. Because it stuck in my brain for a long time. Because mm-hmm. you're still scared that Goatman's going to get you at night. I kind of am. Yeah. Yeah. What was your favorite? My favorite, honestly, like just when I think of like the year in review, and maybe not because it was my favorite episode necessarily, but Barney and Betty were that doesn't like, surprise that's me. That's a big turning point in my life where that's when I like really fell down the UFO black hole that I'm still in. And <laughs> so that and like yeah, that's been really awesome. And then my other favorite is the reincarnation episodes that we just oh, put out yeah. of life between lives. Mm-hmm. Um, those also just because I was so excited to share all of my knowledge with you. That one, those were fun too. I really liked the reincarnation ones um, and the life between lives. Those are interesting and and they people really, really kind of get into those too. It's such like a it's a topic of discussion that you can literally talk about for hours. Yeah, for real. We could do a whole season on that. And I start to think about that. I mean, like it sticks in my brain too. Like when things happen in life, it totally makes me think about it. So Yeah. Well, I think I will okay, go back. Let's get into these articles. I'm I'm gonna go back to the beginning and I don't remember if you talked about this or not, but our very first episode was about our great, 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 is it the triple great? Great, great, great grandfather. Yeah. The so our triple great third. murder grandpa, um, who turns out has like other triple great and beyond uh, grandchildren out there in the world that we don't even know. Um. But it's a family story that had been passed down from this crazy fucker. And yeah. like we found out that it was in newspaper articles and it's kind of what spurred us to to do this um, in the beginning. So I don't yeah. think that I'd ever seen this article. Um, so I'm just going to read this one. So basically, okay. old boy decided he was going to, you know, marry a bunch of chicks, murder them all take their land um and he just was like a real bad asshole 
He also killed a four-year-old boy who was, I think, his kid, right? Yeah, it was his kid. Um, And then while I was looking for this, I found this website um, that talked about him and like a bunch about his life and stuff. And I I know that there had been some question as to how he um, got out of prison because he also escaped from prison. Um, And that, that website said that he escaped from prison... Um, he was on a work gang, like out, you know, I, mm-hmm. I like to imagine that they were wearing like stripes, you know, I would imagine um, that they had, they actually them. do that down South. Like they have prisoners yeah. wear black and white stripes. And I think it's the greatest thing ever. Like I want to go over and high five the prisoners. <laughs> like <laughs> you're so cool. Okay. Anyway. So I guess he was working on a chain gang and he dressed up like a nun and that's how he escaped while he was working on the chain gang. Like, how do you slip into a nun outfit while you're on a chain gang? I don't know. You pretend like you have to go potty. Like, you tell them that you have diarrhea and you have to go someplace private to diarrhea. Oh, that's a good idea. Okay. That's well, what I would do. Read the article. Okay. Um, This one is in Green Bay, Wisconsin, October 2nd, and it does not say the date. So it's your guess. Um, It would have been late 1800s. Late 1800s. Okay. The 40 or more persons who gave testimony against Jean-Paul Soquet, they called him Jean-Paul Soquet, not Jean-Philippe Soquet. Well, they just, they fucked up the middle names of everything. Which is why I think. All kinds of things. Yeah, that's why I think I might have found this one is because they had his name wrong. Oh, interesting. Because I put in like a Jean-P. To see if I could find something yeah. else. Okay. Okay. Um, let's see. Uh, the 40 or more persons who gave testimony against Jean-Paul Soquet, the wife murderer who escaped from Wapan Saturday afternoon, are in a state of terror. When sentence was pronounced against him, condemning him to life imprisonment, Soquet swore he would not be kept behind the walls and bars, but would return to take a life for every day he spent in the penitentiary. When the news of Soquet's escape reached the farmers in the locality where the murderer lived, the scene was amusing. Groups of people hurriedly congregated at different places in that vicinity and discussed the escape and his oft-repeated threat that he should that should he ever get at liberty. Okay, wait. Back up, because people talk fucking weird. Wording back then. in some of these, yeah, it's weird. All right. Groups of people hurriedly congregated at different places in that vicinity and discussed the escape and his oft-repeated threat that he that should he ever get at liberty, his effort would be to return and kill them. Nothing has been seen or heard of the man so far. In owning to the small reward offered for his recapture, officers here are taking no steps towards ascertaining whether or not he is in this section. Citizens and residents throughout the county are highly indignant indignant over the manner in which such a a fiend was allowed to make his flight. The Saket murder cost the county over $10,000. So I read that article before. I don't think I read it on the air, though. Oh, you did? Okay, okay. So I didn't think that you had read that one before, but they were pretty much making fun of these people 
And they were like, yeah, $10,000 yes. isn't enough for anyone to care for about your lives. So I just, yes. I liked to kind of like imagine, oh, okay. This is the part that I thought was funny. Sorry. It was the title of the article oh. is called Waiting to be Murdered. <laughs> so it wasn't the article itself that was funny. Part. It was the title. The title, Waiting to be Murdered. <laughs> like everyone's just oh kind of hanging God. around, waiting, waiting. They're like, he's going to get me. Can you just like imagine these people? If it weren't people? for this murderer, we wouldn't be alive. I That's know. Funny. Like, can you imagine like all these people in this town just sitting around like waiting and picturing his crazy face? <laughs> like, yeah, because oh he's he going to get like, us. a weird like Google eye. His googly eyes. Yeah. Yes. Waiting to be murdered by googly eyes. I wish they would have called it that. Instead. Yeah. <laughs> by googly eyes. By oh, the God. great googly yeah. moogly. Okay. Your turn. You get to go okay. next. I think that... Let's see. I think that the next one that I have... I think this was one of the first ones. This one is about the Harvard Thanksgiving potty murder. Hmm. Um, cause did you do this? Yeah. I'm just going to wait on the other one. Okay. So yeah, that was my episode. Yeah. Okay. So this one is called excitement in Boston. Okay. And I'm reading, there's a couple parts I can't read. This is a longer article. It does give like a lot of background. So it'll kind of like fill you in. If you haven't mm -hmm. listened to the episode, it might pique your interest to go back to it. But it kind of gives like summation of things and it gets kind of yucky and there's parts of it I can't read because it's an old newspaper article. So bear with me. So, okay. Yeah. Since last evening, our whole population has been in a state of the greatest possible excitement in consequence of the astounding rumor that the body of Dr. Parkman has been discovered and that Dr. John Webster, professor of chemistry in the medical school of Harvard College, and a gentleman connected by marriage with some of our most distinguished families has been arrested and imprisoned on suspicion of being the murderer. Incredulity. 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 I don't know. Is that <laughs> okay. Incredulity. That's a word we don't Good use Good job. Anymore. You did it. Yes. Incredulity then amazement, and then blank, unspeakable horror have been the emotions which have agitated the public mind as the rumor has gone on, gathering countenance and confirmation. Never in the annals of crime in Massachusetts has such a sensation been produced. In the streets, in the marketplace, at every turn, mare greet, or sorry, at every turn, men greet one another with pale, eager looks in the inquiry, can it be true? And then, as the, the terrible reply, the circumstances begin to gather weight against him, is wrung forth, and the agitated listener can only vent his sickening sense of horror in some expression <laughs> as that of Hamlet. Oh, horrible. Oh, horrible. Most horrible. Thunderbolt? <laughs> At clear noonday falling with a loud report and shattering the most conspicuous dome in the city could not have produced a greater shock to the external senses. This than is so dramatic. The falling of suspicion on Dr. Webster in this case has occasioned the moral sense of this community. 
The first impulse among his acquaintances is to exclaim, impossible, outrageous. There could have been no valid ground for his arrest. And then as minutes or as minute circumstances are related, as facts hanging on facts are detailed, the propriety of the course of the authorities in making the arrest is reluctantly and painfully admitted. We give the facts that have thus far come to light in this affair with an accompanying protest, however, against making them the material for forming an opinion against the suspected individual until they have been thoroughly substantiated before a legal tribunal. Heaven grant that they may prove fallacious. However, terrible and confirmatory the array of circumstantial evidence may seem, let us postpone as far as in us lies all convictions on the subject until it assumes a more imposing and authentic front than it wears at present. Charity and common sense alike commend this course. As we have been informed on what we deem to be good authority, strong suspicions have been entertained ever since the disappearance of Dr. Parkman, and especially since it has generally been believed that he was no longer living, that the place of his concealment was in or about the medical college, a branch of Harvard University in North Grove Street in this city, and accordingly a constant watch has been kept about the building. The principal reasons for these suspicions, which we have heard assigned, are as follows. Dr. Parkman held a note for $450 against Professor Webster, which had long been overdue and upon which, although it was secured by a mortgage of some real estate in East Cambridge, the doctor had several times importuned for the money and had been from time to time put off. At length, he applied to the officer who disposed of the tickets for Dr. Webster's course of lectures to know if there were a sufficient balance due to the professor to take up his note. So basically, like, just this is all, like, very hard to understand, I think, reading out loud because it's 1800s talk. Basically, to back up, like, he owed he owed Parkman money, Dr. Webster mm-hmm. did, and Dr. Parkman tried to go to the college and say, like, hey, garnish his wages. Okay? So. Give me my money, circumstance. Bitch. Yes, exactly. The circumstance is said to have greatly incensed Professor W., who on Friday morning of last week called at Dr. Parkman's house, number 8 Walnut Street, and left word if he, Dr. P., wanted his money on that mortgage to call at the medical medical college about 1 o'clock that afternoon. The doctor is known to have proceeded to the college at the time specified, was seen to enter by several persons in the vicinity, but was not seen to come out. The statement that he was subsequently seen passing Craggy's Bridge has been, as we hear, satisfactorily contradicted. On his way to the college, Dr. Parkman purchased some groceries at a store at the corner of Vine and Blossom Streets, where he ordered to be sent to his house, but left in the store a bag of celery, which he said he himself would call for in a few minutes. I don't know if you guys know this random fact but celery was actually like a rich man's food and people would put celery on their tables and celery bases at this time because what? celery was like fancy rich people food. I didn't know that. Yeah, in a there's vase? something called celery vases. Yes. <laughs> like from the 1800s there's something called celery vases. That was just a fun fact that I know about that. So. How did you know that? Um from uh and that's why we drink. They did a Oh, okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Anyway, 
At this time, it is stated that a person wishing to do some business with him waited for two or three hours in vain in order to see him when he should come home from the college. It is said Professor Webster admits that Dr. Parkman was at the college about the time mentioned and that although he asserts he paid him the $450, he cannot show a receipt for it when it is Hmm. well known that Dr. P was very methodical in his business matters. Are they actually saying, sorry, are they actually saying Dr. W and Dr. Dr. P? Yes, they are. So I thought that was you just like, you know. No. Doing some this shorthand. This is the 1800s person doing shorthand. And uh, so they're saying that yeah. like Parkman definitely would have given him a receipt. There's no way that he wouldn't have given him a receipt for that payment. I mean, That's he's a celery man. He's a celery man. Of course receipts. he gives receipts. Of course. of course. Okay. Yes. So it is also stated that during the whole of the past week, Professor Webster has kept himself very secluded, that his rooms at the college have been kept constantly locked, circumstances quite unusual with him. From these and other alleged facts, such as suspicion, or such suspicions were aroused that um, in the professor's absence last evening, Dr. Ephraim Littlefield, who has the care of the college building and grounds, was induced to break the partition wall into the vault <gasps> under the private laboratory of Professor Webster in the basement of the building and there discovered one leg and a portion of the trunk of a human corpse. So that's our like guy that went in with his wife. If you go back to that episode, they're broken goals. Yes, remember? Broke in with his wife and was like, I think there's a dead person in the potty. We just need to go check it out. Are you yes. in? And then his wife and was she just was like, like, Yeah, let's go. Yeah, I'm totally in. Yeah, I love them. Okay. So so there's a human corpse in a condition which has made it apparent that the remains had not long been they're deposited so they're saying the remains hadn't been there for very long this discovery with the fact that yes so the fact that professor webster is not an anatomist or surgeon or but simply a chemist and having nothing professionally to do with the dissection of bodies was ample to give rise to the astounding suspicion that dr parkman had thus been most foully and diabolically murdered foully yes Professor Webster was accordingly arrested at his residence in Cambridge by officers Clapp and Rice and lodged at Leverett Street Jail last night to await further developments. So this is where the article gets hard to read. But then if I go forward, the first thing that pops up is, can it be that an infernal scamp has betrayed me? So something about an accomplice, but... I just think the word scamp was great there. And he I called somebody a scamp for it. Yes. Like Dr. Webster called somebody else a scamp. Like he was saying that there was like somebody else that did this. What is a so, scamp? Like a scammy tramp? I guess. I don't know. I like it though. I want that word in You're my vocabulary. Yes. Okay. I'm going to finish this up. Sorry. Mm-hmm. I know this is a long article. One of my other ones is too. So. We learn that a farther and thorough investigation was made in the professor's laboratory this morning when the ashes of his furnace were found or in the ashes of his furnace were found pieces of bone from the skull and other parts of a man's head together with several false teeth, some coat buttons and some grains of gold apparently from a watch melted down on the stairs leading from the laboratory to the lecture room above. 
were found spots made by a strong acid capable of destroying marks of blood, which might have been there spilled, or of almost instantly consuming the flesh if thrown upon the person. Ew! It is stated that as a suspicious fact in connection with the recent unusual closeness of Professor Webster's laboratory, that from its chimney an uncommonly dense and constant smoke has been observed to issue for several days past, and that a great amount of pitch pine kindlings has been used there. Yucky. Saturday morning brought with it still further discoveries. Officer Rice, in arranging things in the laboratory, found in recess formed by... The brickwork of the furnace and chimney, a tea chest, apparently filled with specimens of minerals, but emitting a strange odor. He at once upset the chest and found in the bottom embedded in hemlock bark, the left thigh and the half-roasted trunk of the body. Guilty. The skin had been wholly burnt from the body. The skin had been wholly, or skin had been wholly burnt from the body and stripped off the trunk. Well, <gasps> the thigh was only stained with the bark all the parts found are such in size that they may very well have belonged to mr p's body the missing portions and supposed to have been burnt up are the head contents of the body left leg and foot arms hands and right foot among the secondary facts it may be stated that four bloody towels were found in the vault a very large clasp knife with hunting figures on the blade was found with the trunk in the tea chest some grapples made of cod hooks with lines and lead sinkers attached were found in mr webster's apparatus room oh this room is in the rear of the lecture room and connected to the door on the inner side of the apparatus room is a large closet with several hundred bottles of chemicals arranged on shelves near the door of this closet on the floor commenced Scattered marks of blood which extend the whole length of the apparatus room and appear on nearly every step of the stairs leading from the room down to the laboratory. Dr. Webster's official duties as a professor required of him um, that there are no handling of bodies, nor would it allowable to have subjects in that part of the building. Or in a trunk yes. in a room. Yes. That would be weird no matter what kind of professor you are. Sorry to burst your bubble if that's For what you do. real. Yeah. And on Gross. Sunday, a pair of trousers marked with Dr. Dr. Webster's name and with marks of blood upon them were found in the large closet. Also under a settee in the room, a pair of slippers marked with spots of blood. Also a small saw with a blood stain. So in case you were wondering, you know, like he left without his pants. Um... So it says oh. the teeth and jaw found on Professor Webster's grate have been identified by Dr. Keep, the dentist who operated on Dr. Parkman's mouth a short time since. The jaw also fits the mold taken at that time. The family of Dr. P has claimed the body for interment and have had the same encased in a leaden box preparatory to burial. The body has a stab in the ribs through it into the cavity of the chest. Professor Webster is still in prison and remains perfectly calm. That's all. Perfect. Sorry, calm. I know that was the long one. Ah! But it gave you like I forgot how gross that one was. Yeah, like I feel like I got some extra like details about that case from that that I didn't know about before, or I just forgot. You might have just forgot. I listened to so many other yeah. podcasts on that one. And there was a lot, yeah. There was a lot it of really gross was. that happened. He, I forgot about the body in the trunk. 
He it was very that was, unnecessary. Some of that was unnecessary. Why did you have to skin him like that? I feel like he like he Well, I think he was trying to get rid of the body and he fucked up and realized like, oh, it's not as easy to burn a body as I thought it was because, you know, the body is made up of mostly water and you have to have like a really hot, hot fire. I mean, yeah, just I think that's what people sometimes like they try to burn a body. Yeah. Well, I I think that like people back then didn't know because like even I did the the Kate Webster one around this time. He has told me these things. The other one and she like tried to cook up the boil it down in her kitchen and it got real stanky and gross. And then she decided to just go drinking. Oh, is that next? Well, speaking of Kate Webster. Speaking of Kate Webster, it could be. Might as well. Let me, let me let me open that one. I was gonna do a different one, but as long as you're talking about old Kate, might as well. If my interwebs will pop this out. It really like there was a lot of chunks to it and and I felt like like I didn't really need to read like the entirety of this article, but let me just start. I probably didn't need to part. read the entirety, but I didn't um parts. Let, let's do a little chunk of this one it says she All was right. she was born in ireland at killeen in the county of wexford and was about 30 years old at the age of 18 she came to england and became connected and lived with criminals of the vilest class on the <laughs> second day la Okay, on the second day of last January, just after the expiration of her last term in prison, she secured a situation as the servant of Mrs. Thomas. I just want to say that not employment, but she secured a situation. Situation. It's a situation. (laughs) Where I work is a situation. Anyway. All right. It is. This lady was a widow in comfortable circumstances, and she lived alone at Vine Cottages, one of the beautiful suburbs of Richmond. She was rather eccentric in her habits and held little intercourse with her neighbors. Now, that would mean something completely different these days. Um, But she was generally known as an extremely bad-tempered woman. Okay, this is the woman that died. I know. Like, they're just like... They're like, she was a dead. bitch. And they were just like, didn't like her because she was a spinster or she was a widow, I think, right? I don't know. Like, she was a single lady. She did like traveling by herself and she didn't want to talk to her neighbors. Like, guess what, bitches? That's me. Yeah. But anyway. Okay. Keep going. In this characteristic, she was fairly matched by her servant, Kate Webster. But the two women seemed to get along very well together and nobody suspected that they were, that there was bad blood between them. On Sunday, March 2nd, Mrs. Thomas was last seen alive. On that day, she attended two services in the Presbyterian Chapel in Richmond and returned. Wait, what? And I think it's supposed to say returned, but that's not what they wrote. They wrote retoured. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and retoured to her home between 7 and 8 o'clock in the evening. Between 8 and 9 o'clock, the people living in the next house heard a loud noise. Such would be caused by the falling of a heavy chair or a fat person. But yeah. nothing was thought of this at the time. 
Early next morning, a light was seen in the kitchen of the cottage occupied by Mrs. Thomas. Noises were heard as of boiling in a copper, and an unusual and most unpleasant smell pervaded the atmosphere around the house. I just want to say, people could hear something boiling in her copper pot. I call bullshit. Uh, I call bullshit on that one, too. I think that they should have used a different a different adjective or something. Yeah. Or noun. Wait. Boiling. That's a noun. No. That's yeah, a... Yeah. That's a verb. A dear. verb. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up, bitch. Okay. Um. Let's see here. Okay. So people heard the boiling in a copper pot. Bullshit. Um, An unusual and most unpleasant smell pervaded the atmosphere around the house. Catherine Webster was in the house that day for three different persons called to see her. In the light of what followed, the noise of the night and the vile smell of the morning were fully explained. The servant had stolen upon her mistress and she was sitting in front of the fire after coming from church, thrown a long piece of cloth around her throat and pulling it over her backward to the floor shaking her to death what anyway basically they say she like boiled her up right yeah she did she did boil her up i just thought that was like the most interesting part of that article yeah that whole thing like got way more like that that case was much more intense than i realized and then like I remember Frank was like, whoa, like you need to tell people that you're about to go into things like that. I'm like, no. Yeah, he's not really a big fan of the gore. Yeah. It was like very graphic and I, it was the most graphic that we had gotten at that point. He was like, I don't don't... I'm not sure. Oh, I think that, I think that the Bell Guinness one was the one where he was like, oh, you guys are fucking gross. He's like, I can't listen to this. And I'm like, really? Okay, well. You used to work at a prison. Really? Yeah. He's delicate. Speaking of Bell Gunness, I got one. You got one? Yeah, I was going to leave this one for the last, but again, like, let's just, we're segueing really well. We are segueing. You know, the Bell one made me feel some sort of icky way. After telling, it that was is. like, that was the first gross story that we told, and and I really thought that it was going to be gratifying to me to suddenly have you pull up images of what I was looking at and that you would be like, I thought you were going to make that noise where you go, ah, when you look at something. Yeah, and I didn't. But you didn't. You were just like, basically like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Why'd you make me look at that? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I feel bad. We just got really intense with this. This is all part of our learning curves. Yeah. We're talking about here. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I'm going to read you. A, okay. So this is called Investigation Adds to Mystery. And this is in the Weekly Advocate, mm-hmm. um, which I think is in Indiana. However, it is actually pulled in from the New York American. This is on May 30th of 1908. So. Okay. Okay, this is a long one, so bear with me. Okay. Late developments in the murder farm mystery have strengthened the belief of the people of Laporte that Mrs. Belganis, the most remarkable criminal since medieval times, is alive. 
With the aid of her accomplice, Ray Lanthier, I think is how you say that, but I might be saying it wrong. Okay. Um, the woman burned her house, sacrificing the lives of her three children and fled in an automobile provided by one of her agents, probably in Chicago. As the investigation into the horrors of murder farms progressed, it becomes apparent that Mrs. Gunnis was so steeped in crime that she would shrink from nothing. This woman was utterly devoid of moral sense. It is known that she committed 16 murders and arson and robbery were to her commonplace. The bodies of 10 of her victims have been recovered from the garden where they were buried in quicklime. Three of Ew. these are known. They were in life Jenny Olson, her little adopted daughter, mm -hmm. Andrew Halgalin, Halgalin, I should have looked that up, the suitor from Aberdeen, South Dakota, and Oli E. Budsberg of Iola, Wisconsin. She murdered her first and second husbands, Max Sorensen of Chicago and Gunnis. They don't, like, say anything else about her other husband, just that, like, his name was Gunnis and they know nothing else. That was or his Guinness. name. I don't know how I'm supposed to say it. I think it's Gunnis. Okay. Just straight up. So she chloroformed the three children for whom she posed as mother, although they were not hers, and burned their bodies in the ruins of the house. She must have killed that other woman whose headless body she left in the flames to get to give the impression that she herself had perished. The children bore the names of Myrtle and Lucy Sorensen, 11 and 9 years old, and Philip Gunnis, 5 years old. Mrs. Gunnis had always posed as the mother of these children, and now appears that they, like little Jenny Olson, whom she killed because the child had become possessed of the secret of her horrible crimes, were adopted. It is believed that the woman ran a baby farm and adopted young children oh. for a consideration. How many of these innocents have been turned over to her and murdered will never be known. There is one piece of evidence that convinces the authorities that Ray Lamphere was the woman's accomplice. He is a carpenter, a good working man when sober, but lazy and good for nothing when drinking. <laughs> for years, he had been in love with the fat, coarse, masculine creature who oh! enslaved him. He is as under or unpre unprepossessing as Mrs. Gunnis was, but a distinctive feature of his appearance is rough, curly brown hair. Not bad. In the clenched hand of Andrew Halgalin, when his body was examined by surgeons who performed the autopsy, was a f was found a lock of coarse, curly brown hair exactly like Lamphere's. Halgalin mm -hmm. had awakened when the plotting murderers centered his room and struggled for his life. He must have grappled with Lamphere, but under the blows of some weapon in the huge hands and bony, muscular arms of the woman he succumbed. Oh, my God. With this as a key to the mystery, District Attorney Smith, Sheriff Smutzer, and other authorities are trying mightily to get from Lamphere a complete confession. He has told his share in the crimes, or a part of them at least, to a clergyman. A part of that confession has repeated to, or has he has repeated to others. When Lamphere tells all he knows, the mystery of Murder Farm will be solved, and a number of murders to be traced to Belgunis will be known. This woman's many crimes were so appalling that they transcend the ordinary horror felt by rational human beings at murder and cause a feeling of wonder that any human being could make a cold-blooded business of the murder of men, when women, and children numbering her victims by the score seems beyond belief. But in every particular, the Indiana mystery surpasses in horror in the grotesque extravagance of conception and execution, the Bender and Holmes cases that startled the world. Wow. So they're saying like 
it surpasses what Holmes did, which we also covered. So Bell Gunness was born in Trondheim, Norway, 48 years ago. Her maiden name was Belle Paulson, and she has still a brother and sister living in Norway. When a girl, she was a member of a troop of acrobats, and thus she what? built up a splendid physique. Lack of exercise in her middle life had caused her to grow fat, gross, and unwieldy. Oh. But she still possessed the arms and big bony hands of a giant and was tremendously strong. Oh my god! She had relatives in the United States, and she came here when she was 24, when she married Max Sorensen, her first husband. Even as a girl, she had shown a green for money, and this passion grew with her. She made her husband take out life insurance, kept at him until he had several policies, aggregating $8,500. Then he died mysteriously. There is little known now, but... or I don't know. They're basically saying he was poisoned. Um, and his widow got the $8,500 life insurance. She got the fire insurance on two buildings, which she occupied and burned down in 1892. And she went to Laporte as the wife of Gunnis. They bought the farm, which has since become the horror spot of the civilized world. It has been a resort of evil reputation for many years. And when Belle Gunnis and her husband took possession, it was hoped by the neighbors that they would prove desirable residents. But they kept aloof. Mrs. Gunnis drove the friendly neighbors from here, and soon the house was shunned. She adopted little Jenny Olson more as a slave than a daughter. The child was made to work from morning until night and was an object of pity in Laporte County. But no one dared to interfere with Belle Gunnis. So quick was her temper, so sharp was her tongue, and so menacing her big bony hands when she clenched them in rage. They're so this mean. This article just keeps giving, okay? Uh, when Gunnis was killed, Laporte was suspicious. The woman explained that a meat chopper had fallen from a shelf on his head. The coroner made an investigation, but there was no evidence to show that Belgunas crushed his skull with a blow of a meat chopper, and verdict on accidental death was given. The woman had made Gunnis take out life insurance policies um, in the amount of $3,000, and she collected this sum. After she began in earnest her career of crime, she scorned marriage as too slow a route to riches, but with marriage and her own possessions as a lure, she realized soon the possibilities that lay in further crime. Men began to come to Laporte, strangers to the residence, and ask the way to the Gunnis farm. They would stay around a day or two, transact some business with the bank, always in favor of the woman, and disappear. Mrs. Gunnis had or always had some plausible story to account for their going, but the truth was never even suspected until Helen Heglin came to Laporte on the trial or of his brother in late, early, late May. Um, it was Elsie Heglin whose spade uncovered the secret in the gruesome garden of Murder Farm. Joe Maxson, a farmhand, had told Heglin and, and the sheriff that Mrs. Gunnis made him pile fertilizer on some soft spots in the garden mold. Heglin and the sheriff quickly swept aside this covering and began to dig. A few strokes of the spade revealed an, an awful truth. Not only had Heglin been murdered, his body dismembered and buried in quicklime, but there, within a few feet of it, lay the bodies of Jenny Olson, Oli, and two others. Five other bodies, uh, all yet are all as yet identified, were exhumed on further search. Then all Laporte began to tell what it knew of Mrs. Gunnis. Many men had gone to the farm, never to return. People had taken babies there and left them, and they had Ugh. never 
been heard to cry or had never been seen alive again. It was a veritable house of mystery because no one in the neighborhood ever went there. When she had farmhands work around the house, Belgunis watched them like a hawk. She had the cellar floor covered in cement, and she sat in the cellar all day long while the workmen were at work. She had a floor laid in her barn, and not once did she take her eyes from the carpenters when they were nailing down the boards. Only one man, Ray Lampfair, was admitted to the secrets of the house. He lived with a woman for a number of years. Their relations were criminal. Lampfair <gasps> was a good-for-nothing loafer and was distrusted and despised by everyone in the community. He hung around the Gunnis farm, making frequent trips to town where he got drunk on the money Bell Gunnis gave him. He was insanely jealous of her, and they quarreled furiously over the advances of each new victim. Mrs. Gunnis made love to her victims with ardor and pa- or with the ardor and passion of a young woman. And when they came, she entertained them lavishly, beguiled them with drives in stories of the neighborhood, and wheeled their money out of them and butchered them without the slightest care. Mrs. Gunnis was not alone in her crimes. It seems almost certain that she was the clearing or she that she was in a clearinghouse for a murder syndicate, or she was the clearinghouse for a murder syndicate it is believed that besides those whom she killed herself bodies were sent to uh, sent to her from chicago in trunks and boxes to be disposed of one of her agents she or through one of her agents she learned the danger or like that there was danger when elsie Hagelin took up search for her brother it was through this agency that she was saved from exposure and arrest doubtless fearing that if caught mrs gunnis might confess and implicate them her agents determined to save her the plan of burning the house with the children and the body of a woman whom they had killed to give the impression that she had died in the fire was was concocted the body of the woman dummy a headless corpse must have been taken to the house on the night of the fire in the automobile in which bell gunnis afterward fled the intensity of the fire and rip rapidity with which it destroyed the building shows the flames must have been fed with some highly flammable substance they said inflammable substance but that doesn't sound right that doesn't uh, sound right. and her accomplices must have literally saturated the place with kerosene the make or they made certain that there should be no hitch in their plans um so the children were chloroformed this much lamphere confessed to the clergyman then the blaze was set and while it mounted mountained to the sky making dawn of the black night bell gunnis sped away over the indiana high roads in the direction of chicago where is she now that is a question the whole country is asking while the police of every city are searching for her disguised as a man she is probably hiding oh in chicago or some other big city possibly even new york waiting for a chance to slip away to europe her accomplices will save her if they can for her capture would be a menace to them there is another question. What became of Bell Gunness's money? She must have accumulated many thousands of dollars during her career of crime. Her farm gave her a livelihood for herself and the three children. All she gained by murder, arson, and robbery must have been clear. But she had only a few hundred dollars in the Laporte Bank when she died. Because she That's took it. it all. And also... Sorry, that was a long one, but it just kept giving. How? How? Did she get all these men to want her and sleep with her if she was really as ugly as they try to make her? And she out was to like be. really a big brooding man. Well, because she, she had money though. Yeah, no. Because she was acting like she and didn't she have was any. writing really slutty letters to them. And cooking. Wasn't she like a really good cook cooking? or something? 
Like they I would come there know. and she'd be like, "Oh, you want some meat and potatoes?" I, ugh. I don't know. I, I don't know. I got. I. I it no... was like that one was just like they just kept going with like the crazy, like the rudeness to the people. Yes, they were so rude. And there is no I have good a feeling that segue. one was kind of fake news, too, because it yeah. was just like saying yeah. that they thought this thing happened, but they didn't yeah. really know. So there's really no good segue from that one other than, um, let's see here. Let's go into, let, let's, let's go into a vampire. Okay. Situation. Um, so this one, I didn't really find anything about. Do you remember, like, we talked about the dude from the Baltics, Peter? Yeah, we wouldn't have found anything Peter, that old. the undead that had the boner. Peter. He yes. had an undead Peter. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Couldn't find jack shit on that as far as an article. But I did find um, November 28th of uh, 2012, there was a fun little little article um, written in the Digital Spy by Cheyenne Bunzi, and it okay. says garlic sales increase in Serbian village after vampire warning. So, Ooh. yeah, sales of garlic have reportedly rocketed in Western Serbia after a local council issued a warning that a vampire is on the loose. The public health warning was triggered when an old mill, which may many apparently believe belong to village vampire Sava Savanovic collapsed due to lack of care. The notorious vampire is said to have lived in the old water mill where he drank the blood of anyone who came to collect grain. The mayor of the village, Sorozji Miodrag, Vegetic. I'm sorry if that was your name and I butchered it, but he's the mayor, said he is unfazed about being mocked by others who do not share a belief in the legend, placing the safety of his citizens first. Okay. So your mockery be damned. Quote, people are worried. Everyone knows the legend of this vampire and the thought that he is now homeless, looking for somewhere else to possibly uh, and possibly other victims is terrifying people. We are all frightened. Unquote. Residents have also okay. been advised to place holy crosses in every room of their house as a further precaution. So there's a real guy who was the mayor in 2012 that said those things? Just let that sink well, in. You don't know. Okay. Maybe and there then is a vampire out there. Online, there's a website called History Collection. And sometimes I like to read them because they're fun. And the, yeah. this is this is one of their um quote 40 fantastic facts about vampires. Ooh. All right. The nicest vampire in history lived in Slovenia. There's an unusual vampire tale from the region of Ig, I-G, in modern-day okay. Slovenia. Uh, after dying in the 1830s, uh, Zerovic rose again from the grave. Locals called him a vedemek, a dialect word for vampire. But he was actually pretty nice, as vampires go. 
Um, Zerovec talked to people while they worked, tried and failed to put on socks, and he visited his wife. Can you just imagine that? You're at work. And it's the 1830s. But I'm just like, I need to like go back to that one for a minute. Like, like who was watching him try to put on socks? And like, I don't know, but I imagine him to be like a bumbling idiot. Like he gets up in the morning, he climbs out of his casket and he's like, I have to put on my socks. Right. And he's like trying real hard, but he can't get his fingers to do what he wants him to do for whatever reason vampire reason maybe his fingernails were too long i don't know and then he couldn't so i'm sure he goes barefoot because he's not wearing socks or he's wearing shoes without socks and then he just walks around and people in the village are working and he walks up to him and he's like hey man how are you today like he's just a vampire out there walking around talking to people he's just like a friendly vampire like he misses people but what about, the what, yeah, about- what about the sun? Yeah, what about the sun? Doesn't it burn him? I don't Maybe get it. He just had really long fangs and he was kind of dumb and people like thought that he was a vampire. Oh, anyway, he visited his wife and whatever. Okay. But people feared he might turn into a bloodsucker. And the parish priest took action. He dug him up and drove a stake through his heart. Now nah, you have caught me, shrieked. Zavirovek, who never returned. Oh. After he got stabby stabbed in the heart. But he didn't have socks on because he didn't know how to put them on. Oh, man. Poor guy. So, that was my favorite part of that article was that he tried and failed to put on socks. To put on socks. Yes. Mm -hmm. That's pretty great. Mm Mm-hmm. That's very good. Okay. What do you well, have? I have or... no. I only have one left. And okay. this one's about Fred Deeming. Okay. That guy was an asshole. Yes. That was like a pretty so, recent one. As a reminder, yes, this guy was. I don't know if this one's really that funny, but it was okay. And I just like, if you don't remember, or if you want to remember, Fred Deeming was a guy that. He just, like, decided to reinvent himself, and he had a wife, and then he kept, like, getting other wives, and he murdered some of them, and that kind of stuff. So, we're going to talk about, this is the trial of Deeming, and it says, one of the most sensational murder trials of recent years was that of Fred, or of Frederick Bailey Deeming, which was concluded in Melbourne, Australia, on May 2nd, 1892. It required a long fight to convict him against his counsel's plea of insanity. Those who heard his plea and the evidence produced at the trial were willing to admit one of two things, that he was either the greatest fiend that ever lived or he was insane. However, greatest fiend the jury ever. judged him the former. Yes. In order to carry out his supposed insanity, Deeming confessed to all sorts of crimes, even to the statement that he had committed the majority of the Jack the Ripper murders in London. But as he was not in England at the time that most of these murders occurred um, and was in jail when the latter ones were committed, it is very evident that his statements were false. Deemingly, it was no doubt or Deeming was no doubt guilty. Did of you many say murders. Deemingly? Deemingly, yeah, <laughs> like, like seemingly, he was deemingly, deemingly guilty. Deemingly guilty, yeah. Sorry, 
<laughs> okay. The murder for which he was tried and convicted was that of his second wife, Mrs. Williams, who was killed while he masqueraded under that assumed name. Hmm. He was married to this third or to this third wife when he was arrested, but they were just spending their honeymoon. And there was no doubt that her life was saved through this arrest. When early in the 90s, 90s, and they're talking about the 1890s. <laughs> you said the 90s. Deeming arrived at Rainhill, England. He rented on that pretty village on the outskirts of Liverpool a handsome cottage. Shortly afterwards, he brought to this home a wife and four children. He had resided there, but a short time when the wife and children disappeared, but a short time when the wife and children disappeared, and by way of explanation, he told them it was a sister and her children who had been visiting him. Nothing further was thought of the incident, but everyone was surprised to find that Deeming had suddenly taken his departure. He sailed for Australia. Um, when he started away, he changed his name to Williams and carried with him wife number two, who was known as Mrs. Williams. They began homekeeping at Windsor, a suburb of Melbourne, Australia. They had lived there until Christmas time when he mysteriously disappeared and assumed the name of Swanston. The house where Williams had lived at Windsor remained unoccupied for two months, and when it was rented on March 1st of 1892, the family, in moving in, detected a peculiar and unpleasant odor about the fireplace, which showed evidence of it having been recently cemented over. The cement covering was removed, and the body of Mrs. Williams was discovered underneath. Detectives at once set to work to find Mrs. Williams, and they located or Mr. Williams, and they located him in Melbourne, living under the name Swanston with a woman he had just married as his third wife. He was carted off to prison, and along with him, a new barrel of cement, which he had just purchased, evidently with the idea of walling up Mrs. Swanston after he had murdered her. Ew. At the trial, it was discovered that wife number two had been murdered on Christmas Eve, 1891. The detective force who had identified Swanston as Williams began an investigation of the career of the man. The account of the cement-ridden murder, or cement-hidden murder at Windsor murder. was telegraphed to England. Yeah. And with meager information of the past life of the man, it was thought that he was probably deeming, and an investigation was started to see if some light could not be thrown on the disappearance at Raynell of Mrs. Deeming and her four children. This was started principally through evidence given by the mother of Mrs. Deeming. The house in which the Deemings had lived in England was thoroughly overhauled, and when the floor of the kitchen was taken up, it was found that Mrs. Deeming, number one, and her four children had been murdered and cemented under the floor of the fireplace. A full investigation disclosed how the murders had taken place. The trial of the murder excited a great amount of attention in all parts of the world. The announcement of the verdict at Melbourne was greeted with cheers and general expressions of satisfaction. Oh my <laughs> Just general expressions of satisfaction. Deeming was executed at Melbourne on May 23rd, 1892. He persisted in denying to the last that he was guilty of the Rainhill murder. He had never, he declared, lost his self-control in England as he had since his arrival in Australia. So I would do this in Australia, but I would never do this in England is basically what he's saying. Um, he made no statement and left no <laughs> confession. The execution was witnessed by a large gathering, including government and civil officials and magistrates. That's all. I feel like there were inaccuracies because wasn't he not married to the last person? Um, yeah. Or was he she, engaged or something? She, they got like engaged. Working at a job he wasn't qualified for. Yeah, they also didn't talk about the part where he had the big fabulous red 
mustache. Remember that he plucked yes. out he plucked out hair oh, by yeah. hair because he thought nobody would know that it was him. <laughs> he was really cool. You pluck your mustache out. Yeah. Yeah. He epilated that shit by hand. Jesus. Yeah. Gross. All of these really great people. Oh, you yeah. know, when when we think about like reincarnation, I wonder where they are today. Where are these? I know, folks right? Today? What if it's you and I? It's not. <laughs> you don't know. I do. That what? much I do. Oh. I do know. Number one, I'm not that stupid. Number two, super grody. No. I don't want to be looking at dead bodies and shit. All right. Well, if that's the case, then you used to be the Nola Axman. That's right. The Axman of New Orleans. Do you remember? Okay. So I got one. And I did the investigation for this while I was stuck in Nola, yo. That is right. Or getting so ready to go to Nola. I. My head isn't mathing, like, how how we worked this out, because, like, I have five and you have four, and we went back and forth. It turns out, like, I got one more after this, and that's my final. But let's just talk a minute about jazz bands Blair for Axeman, who stays away from City. Threat of mysterious writer of note who claimed to be the murderer gives splendid excuse for merrymaking. All right. The tinkle of jazz music coming from dozens of New Orleans homes at 12.15 o'clock Wednesday morning demonstrated the many Orleanians took the Axman letter printed in the Times Picayune. Is that what that said? Picayune. Picayune. Sunday seriously and that scores of others who didn't Picayune. take it sorry seriously. I was trying to remember the word Picayune okay the times Picayune Sunday seriously and that scores of others who didn't take it seriously found in it inspiration for house parties with jazz music having a prominent place on the program the letter received by the Times Picayune and printed Sunday purported to have been written by the Axeman, suspect suspected of having committed five murders. I suspected, 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 suspected of having committed five murders in New Orleans since May of 1918. In it, he referred to himself as, quote, a demon fell, or wait, a fell demon from hottest hell. Yeah. That kind of, a fell demon from hottest hell. Okay. But admitted that he was fond of jazz. The devil's own music, he called it. He said he would pass over New Orleans at 12.15 a.m. today and that all those who wish to remain in favor with him must have a jazz band going in their houses full blast. Yes. He loves okay. jazz. I feel like when he's like, he's like, I'm going over, like like he's fucking Santa Claus. You know, like, <laughs> yes. like I'm like passing New Orleans on my journey to drop off presents, but instead I murder people. And I just like would like, if you played some jazz music, please. 
I'm not sure what this word says, but it's L. I think it says L-E-V-E-S in the Levy's district, maybe. Levy's mm-hmm. district. Before midnight, dozens of banjos, guitars, and mandolins were strumming the jazziest kind of jazz. The midnight hour found pianos syncopating merrily in scores of homes brilliantly lighted where neighbors hold merry gathering and slowed the axe man's warning. Late cafe revelers insisted on jazz music and cafe orchestras played it in their very best form. Whether the axeman is a piker or whether wither jazz is a piker or wither jazz music had sufficient charm to soothe the savage. The savage be okay, dude, this whole part. First of all, this article is like real sloppy looking. It's hard to read because yeah. it's real old and kind of jumbled That's up. It's hard, yeah. Okay, what is a piker or a I don't know. Wither. W E H. All I know is that I want to go back to New Orleans like on this day because they still play jazz music. Or Wehither? What? I don't get it. Okay. Whether the Axeman is a piker or Wehither jazz music had sufficient charm to soothe the savage beast may have been known. But anyhow, there was not a single incident to indicate that the Axeman had even hesitated in his promised pass over New Orleans. By far the greater portion of the city's population, however, snubbed the axeman, ignoring his warning, and enjoyed a night of sound and refreshing sleep, punctuated now and then with jazzy snores. However, the Axeman's letter served as a double purpose. It gave dozens a merry evening. It gave by far the greater part of the city no concern whatever, and it caused others to take more than ordinary precautions to safeguard their homes. Meantime, the Honorable Guild... Okay, okay, it says Guild. Okay. Meantime, the Honorable Guild of Porch Climbers isn't taking any chances. It hasn't worked after the midnight hour for several days. The Axman's letter had a decidedly bearish effect on the burglar business, for no burglar likes to enter a house where there is a prospect of receiving a welcome in the form of a sawed-off shotgun. The end. Yes. Burglars beware. No more burglars. That's right. Don't be burglin'. Jazzy snores and anti burglin'. I probably I snore jazzily. I I, I forgot no, about you that don't. favorite. Like that's my favorite part of the whole Axeman thing is just that like somebody decided that they were like, I'm fucking done with these axe murders and like they had just come off of pandemic as well and so yeah. i think somebody was like dude listen like we got to get people back out in the bars and getting drunk and this yep. is bringing us down so i'm gonna pretend to be the axe man pretend like i'm flying over like fucking santa claus but i'll skip you if you're playing jazz music let's fucking that light is this shit so up. and it's still going on today i fucking love it light it up all right so 
What's you your ready? last one? Yeah. Cherry on top. This is just an old article about a goat man. What else yes. can you do? Okay. Yeah. What else can you do? I don't know what fucking newspaper this was from. All I do know is that it was from January 12th of 1934 and that I read this on the interwebs. So therefore it must be true. Got it? Was this one from like a real newspaper article one or is this just like a rando? It's rando, but it's from 1934. So okay, um, cool. here we go. Mysterious goat man of Sacramento mountains. Mysterious goat man of Sacramento mountains reported seen again. Carazozo? Carazozo? What is Carazozo? Okay. That that no was just knows. like, uh, that was just, that was me butchering the title of it. Mysterious okay. goat man of Sacramento mountains reported seen again. And this is something called Carazozo, January 12th, AP. Okay. okay. The goat man, quote unquote, of the Sacramento and San Andreas Mountains has made his appearance in north central Lincoln County. And for proof, James Greer, rancher near here, offers an odd coyote skin hat said to have been lost by the man. Okay. For a number of years, residents of the Sacramentos and San Andreas areas have told stories of seeing a, quote, wild man who was always found to be near sheep and goat flocks. The strange creature has been shot at several times, but no one has ever captured him. The section of the next part just says, runs on all fours. Recently, Greer, who lives three miles west of here, here is the Carrizozo. The Carrozozo. The Carrizozo. Okay. Went in search of one of his herds of goats in the Malpay beds near his ranch. While returning with the lost herd, he suddenly saw the goats were being chased by a strange-looking creature, which at first sight he took for a coyote inasmuch as part of the time it would run on all fours. That's why the section was called Runs on All Fours. Not knowing just what to do, Greer shot at the creature, which uttered a scream and vanished among the the recesses of the lava beds. Running over to where the creature had disappeared, Greer found a hat made of coyote skins, like Daniel Boone's. Jesus. I like that part. It just says, like Daniel Boone's, period. Like, yeah, oh, that I thought you said that. It was no, it the article. says that in said the that. article. Okay, this is like, why like it's Daniel so great. Okay, okay. The hat on exhibit here resembles the old Daniel Boone hat. To all appearances, the skin was drawn over a stump or a rock. The hair shaved entirely off, with the exception of the tail, which hung in oh, a no. streamer behind. Oh God. In that condition, it had been dried for use. (laughs) Greer said the creature also appeared to be dressed in the skins of different animals. Although he made a careful search for the creature, Greer said he could find no trace of him. And others have looked also and have been unsuccessful. The end. Wow. Like Daniel Boone. Like Daniel Boone. Goat man, like Daniel Boone. <laughs> Not unlike Daniel Boone. Oh my God. So that's it. Oh that that that's what I that's got. That's it. 
How well, are you feeling? Guess, How are you feeling? Are you kind of sad? Like, I'm a little bit sad. I'm but, a little sad, too. But I'm, like, a little bit relieved. Because we've I'm been a, stressed, yo. Yeah, we do. I'm a little bit relieved. I'm a little bit sad. But, I mean, this does reiterate that, that this is fun. It is fun. And... So we just hope that, like, if you've been listening to us regularly, like, please come back and check us out when we've got another one. And like I said, just stay subscribed to us on whatever platform you're listening to us on, and you'll get a notification when we're ready to go. And I'll put something on this feed so that you know that we've got a new podcast out there for you to listen to. Yeah. It's going to be super cool. And it's going to have a really cool name. I don't know what it's going to be yet. We don't know what the name is going to be yet, but we'll find it. We'll get there. Future selves. It's going to be something cool. So be on the lookout for that. In the meantime, take care of yourselves. Yes. Godspeed. Look out for the goat men. Yeah, be careful and don't get abducted by an alien because they're coming around a lot lately. Oh, my God. We didn't do any alien touch points. Did you want to talk about that article before we go? Well, there's a couple things that have happened. I just am going to encourage you to go check it out. So recently in the last week, a whistleblower has come forward, someone who was on the UAP task force that is essentially saying that other people who are part of crash recovery programs and reverse engineering programs have been like disclosing secrets to him because when you're on the UAP task force, they don't tell you about the secret programs that are going on. Like they're just like, they're not being told. And I like in my head, I'm thinking like, that's why like people that have been on that task force leave like Lou Elizondo and this guy, like Mm -hmm. they don't stay on the task force because they get frustrated because they know, like they find out that they're not getting told all of the actual information about UAPs and that we know a lot more about it. It almost seems to me, my theory is that maybe the UAP task force is like if we, if you're familiar with any of this stuff, like it's a cover up, essentially to cover up like what's really going on. And that maybe like we know things about UFOs according to this, like there's like bodies that have been recovered like according to this. So it's like we have to study what's in the sky as much as we might think we have to like it just seems like maybe it's some kind of cover-up to cover up like what's really Mm -hmm. going on i sound like a lunatic right now but check that out just look up like uap task force whistleblower some kind of thing like that you'll find it and then the other one there was a ufo that so like there's cop footage and ring doorbell footage showing in Las Vegas on May 1st. This is way that... more important than the other one with the whistleblower. Sorry, but it does. Yeah, this one's more fun. And so there were like things caught on camera, like a light ball basically like coming down from the sky and then like uh, kind of like a crash noise a little bit that was like caught on audio, including on police cameras, right? Like on police stuff. So after this happens, the 911 gets a phone call from a residence, and they're saying that a UFO has crashed in their yard. 
when that there are two beings in their yard looking at them and that they're between eight and ten feet tall. <laughs> the one guy's like and that they look like, he's like aliens. I don't know. They're like eight feet, ten, nine feet, I don't know, it's like ten feet yeah. tall. I'm scared. You can you can listen to this <laughs> this hall, right? And like they have a ring doorbell that just happened, not a ring. They had like some kind of security camera that went out for a couple of minutes when this thing landed, like right at that time. Um, you can't see like anything there, but then there's like a circle in their yard after the thing had taken back off again because it didn't crash in a way that like kept it there. So it was just like there's that. So there is um, like I would recommend like looking up like George Knapp and looking up like UFO crash Las Vegas George Knapp and you can listen to George Knapp report on it, but you could hear the like phone call. Apparently, this person said that they do have a video of the beings, but they haven't released it yet. So I'm wondering if the government interfered or what? somehow they, they ha- found a way to do some kind of hoax. That, but there's like other things. I'm not sure. You know, that was what blew my mind. Right. I was like, how did this happen in this day and age if it really happened? Right. And they didn't whip out a phone and take a video. They were talking about the weird shiny eyes. They said they were like big, weird yeah. shiny eyes with a small mouth. And they were yeah. like. They're like, it's just looking at me. I don't know. I-, I couldn't believe that they didn't have video. They they told George Knapp that they do, but then they have like not showed like they've agreed to do interviews and then George Knapp like shows up at their house and they don't answer the door. And so like we don't know. It could be like a men in black situation where they're being told that they can't or maybe the videos have been taken from them. So Oh, they totally um, took that. They shit also away. I mean like there's always that's also like all of a sudden you're in the middle of this investigation as well. And that's terrifying mm-hmm. because you have to be that person. And you know, like a lot of people aren't going to be like, if this is in fact real, but just the fact that like my best alien friend, he doesn't think that it's real. He thinks then, it's fake. He thinks it's a hoax and he believes in this kind of stuff, but he's like more of a skeptic than I am. So I, it just depends, you know, like really how you look at it. But the most exciting thing that came out of this was that actually that was sent to me by somebody I work with that I didn't know got into this stuff. And oh, she really? Totally, yeah. We, I like she's not as into it as I am, but she's starting to get into it. And I had like kind of like a little bit opened like some of my the people I work with like know I'm like a little bit into it. But they don't know about the podcast or anything like that. So uh, they, they don't know like the really extent crazy to which I am. Are. They just know that yeah. I'm like a little bit crazy. So it was just kind of like fun to get that from her and like talk to her about that and get another alien friend. Still not my best alien friend. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. yeah. So cool. Yes. Well, I think that about does it. That is a wrap. Okay. Yeah, that's a wrap. Well, okay. we'll see you guys in a couple months or three we'll months. We'll see you on the flip something. side. It'll probably be in All right. the fall. So until then, goodbye. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Goodbye. We're doing a Midwestern goodbye. Oh, we'll see you later. Oh, we'll see you later. Okay, I'm really bad at those. Goodbye. Okay, Oh, just one more. Nope. We love you. Oh, no. Oh.